You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another wonderful episode of Modern Web. Uh, I am your host, Jesse Tomstruck. We have a special episode today. We're talking about developer advocacy, newsletters, microtasks, uh, and self-taught development with my wonderful special guest, Sam Julien. Uh, he is the Director of Developer Advocacy at Okta slash Auth0. Sam, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, thanks fantastic. for Absolutely. Uh, I understand you are on parental leave. Uh, yes. So thanks for crawling out of bed, putting on uh, real clothes uh, and rolling in here uh, and talking yeah. with us. Congratulations on that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I haven't I actually haven't recorded a podcast in quite a while. So this will be fun. I have to you gotta sort dust, of like off, dust off the equipment and energy. like move yeah. stuff off the desk. And you're like, oh, what have I been doing? Um, <laughs> Exactly. You're not checking your email throughout, are you? Because you're just letting that pile up. No, it's just piling up. All the Slack and email and everything cool. is just piling up. It's it's fantastic. I, I'm like so ridiculously grateful to have this time. Yeah, for for people, you know, I was lucky enough uh, when we had little ones. I was with Apple, and I, I think I had like four months or five months, of, and like for people who go right back to work, I, I don't understand how, how they do it or how, how they even make that work. Like we barely keep, you know, physically, uh, you know, to keep everything together and we didn't have anything to do, but take care of this little one. So um, no, I know T I taking care of a baby is a full-time job for two people. <laughs> like yeah. taking care of a, like a newborn is absolutely a full-time job for two people. It's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it's like you're so little and you're so needy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. It, it it amazes me. I mean, like two weeks in, I was like, how do any of us make it to adulthood? Like, how do like it's so hard to take care of a baby? Like, how does everybody? How did everybody throughout history do this? <laughs> to yeah, where we all, like, I'm we really all impressed at the species. like odds at like the the sheer amount of success rate. The success rate here is really impressive. Now that I've like yeah. had to do this for a little while. It definitely made us feel a little better. Like every time we felt really overwhelmed, we were like, well, people have been doing this from the, since the dawn of time. So we'll be okay. We'll make, we'll, we'll, we'll make this work. <laughs> we should be good. We've got a roof. We've got electricity. We've got clean water. Yes. yes. Like the basics we're... covered. Uh, yes. I think, so I want to ask you, uh, and then we'll get to the tech stuff. Um, but I know we have a lot of parents out there. Uh, what is your favorite baby tech? Favorite baby tech. So we're still so early. My son's only 14 weeks, so we're we're still really early in all of this. But I would say my wife, through various social medias, found this play mat that has like a, it's like a, I forget what it's called. I'll have to find it. But it's like a look and listen play mat that oh, has yeah. this little piano. And it's like legendary. Like apparently like everybody uses it. Yep. And I know you, it's, like, it's got the little the, like bar like, across on the, the back. Yeah. And it's got a little arc on the back, arc with, like thing. little toys hanging down and he can kick the piano or you can put him on his uh, tummy and do the tummy time with the, the like lights and sounds. And that thing has been a game changer. <laughs> I'll say, I'll say that. So that's, that's not super high tech because it's like Fisher price or something, but, but it's uh that's been chef's kiss. <laughs> so. Chef's kiss. Very nice. Mine is the, uh, the boppy. 
the oh, like yeah. half That's... donut like pillow thing. Oh yeah, we've got one of those. Yeah, uh, and I think it's a two way tie between that and the diaper genie. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, my wife found this this trash can that has it, it has this like spool of garbage like yeah, garbage bag that's, liner. that's the diaper genie. and so it, you just pull it through and tie it off tie it and off like, and like that fill is it up. single hand like it's such a simple but amazing invention to where because i take the trap i mean i take out the, the garbage every day basically with the diapers and everything and like yep. being able to pull out exactly the right size trash bag like that that is like a pretty impressive invention for something so simple, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's there's it's it's just a couple pieces of plastic. It has like the little like flap thing that that holds it closed, so it, like the whole room doesn't smell like diaper trash all day. Like, yeah, it's pretty legit. Yeah, it's true. So uh, this has been Baby Tech Talk with Jesse and Sam. Thanks for coming. <laughs> I feel like that show would get a lot of play. I think it would. <laughs> Uh, so you've been on leave, but when you're at work, uh, and during your leave, you've been rocking your newsletters. Uh, tell me about your developer relation newsletters. Your micro, not, you've got two. Help me out. So I only have one, I have one newsletter, but, but the newsletter. Two books. Yes. Yeah. I have two books. Um, but one newsletter that sort of bounces between developer relations and developer and just like sort of productivity and uh ways to improve your career as a developer and a developer advocate and that kind of thing um so yeah so so i wrote a book a couple of years ago called getting started in developer relations and that was actually before i became a a manager and director and stuff that was when i was a developer advocate um and then and then later i think in i guess it was 2021 i wrote a, a book called guide to tiny experiments which was about uh, finishing projects. And it was, it was actually sort of a compilation of a lot of the the newsletter issues that I had written about, uh, project management and productivity and, uh, that kind of thing. I, I'm really big on kind of holistic productivity. You know, the, a lot of, a lot of productivity advice is like very hustle oriented and, you know, sort of like, find uh, the grit, hit the grind, harder, do right? your and thing. I, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I'm very much about, um, sustainable progress that you can do that's flexible and adaptive to different schedules and routines. And, you know, so that whether you have 30 minutes to work on something or three hours to work on something, you can get the most out of it and then go live the rest of your life. And especially in now becoming a parent, <laughs> that, that, that actually is a very, uh, I, I'm going back to a lot of my old advice and, and uh, re, rethinking, it, you know, like reapplying it now that I, I work in, you know, 20 minute spurts, you know, and I'm not Very even working right now. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's, it's a, there's always something that's, that I have found uh, almost comical about the idea of in, in developers when you, they're like, work harder, or grind fast, you know, you just gotta just do, do more to an industry that is fundamentally working on being as lazy and as efficient as possible with the least amount of effort to get the most out of it. And yeah. most of the advice is like, just just plug away, keep your head down and grind through it. And you're thinking, yeah, but I really want to do this the, the easiest, laziest way I can possibly ring out. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. developer advocacy now... I think most of us, most in the community could say like from developer advocacy that 
uh, it entails giving conference talks and doing podcasts and uh, being active and, and positive and, and maybe doing workshops or things like that. I'm curious, Sam, what else does developer advocacy entail? Like, what is it? What does a day look like? Because you're certainly not doing those couple things all day, every day. But I, I it, that's the first thing that pops into my head. And it seems to be the most forward-facing part of it. But I feel like, like we're about to get into this iceberg where that's just this little part you might see. Tell us what the, what is it the, what's the rest of this gig? Well, so most of developer advocacy, it, it funnels down from where in the organization you sit, which then affects what your goals and metrics are. And so broadly speaking, most developer advocacy teams either fall into a marketing type role or a product type role. And the marketing type role is going to have uh, metrics around um, reach and engagement and um, you know, awareness. And so they'll have metrics around like the number of developers reach or number of projects that have been created or N uh, NPM downloads or things like that, that are basically trying to spread awareness of the product and uh, get more developers using the product. So fundamentally kind of a marketing oriented role. Whereas then on the other hand, you'll have a, a developer advocacy team that's in the product side. And so they're fundamentally more about getting feedback to and from developers. Um, and so they'll have more metrics around, you know, tickets and features developed and, um, you know, progress on the product and that kind of thing. Now, in practice, most developer relations teams are a blend of the two or even have some third, you know, some, some, some teams have developer advocacy or developer relations in a completely separate organization because it's such a weird hybrid because so much of it depends on the product, the market, the type of, um, I mean, the industry, you know, so for example, Okta and Auth0, that's um, security, you know, we're in the identity as a service business, essentially. And so when you go to log into your favorite consumer app, there's a good chance that Auth0 is what is behind that. So that's a very different market than, say, a database app, you know. And so you have to look at all those different factors, and then that kind of trickles down into what your activity looks like. And so... Um, so for us, we're on, we're, we're, we're our own organization, but we historically have been under marketing. And so we have a lot of marketing, um, performance indicators and things like that. And so, yes, um, we do, uh, do a lot of conference talks. Um, we have a content team that, that, that runs the, the blog, uh, we do podcasts, uh, and most of those are around, that's around like developer reach. So number of developers that are actually learning about what we do and how we do it. But then we also have like a newsletter. We have this thing called the Zero Index Newsletter that has uh, helpful articles and um, contests and things like that. Uh, and that's more focused around engaging the community, right? Um, we also have an ambassadors program where people can uh, join the program and then they create content around Auth0 and identity and security and that, um, you know, in turn impacts the rest of our goals around awareness and engagement and, and that kind of thing. So, um, so when we're not doing things like um, content, there's also a lot of like 
collaborative partnerships with other SaaS companies that we'll work on. We'll do a lot of internal uh, research, co collaborating with other teams throughout the company to, to give product feedback or to um, get involved with sort of larger marketing campaigns. Um, and so there's, yeah, there's a pretty wide spectrum. And that is one of the nice things about developer relations is you can really easily carve out a niche for what you want to do. Um, you know, some of our team is a lot more uh, engineering focused. And so they want to be more involved in, you know, partnering with the SDK team to build more features or, you know, they want to be um, involved with the CLI team or, you know, things like that. And then there's people who just love to speak. And so they travel around the world and give talks and uh, that's what they're best at, you know? So there's a lot of flexibility. And then there's the manager types like me who <laughs> don't do any of that anymore. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, and so I spend a lot of my time setting strategy and uh, running sort of the, the underpinnings of the, of the organization while uh, the wonderful team goes out and does um, all the content and speaking and, and all of that. And it's a, it's a really talented group of people. Okay. So there was, I was on a project, this was probably a couple years ago that used Auth0 and we had, uh, we were using what I think like a beta package of next auth from Auth0 and uh, had like pulled it and had uh, submitted an issue and actually gotten to talk to, you know, back, just back and forth on the issue. Would, would that have been someone on the, I assume that would have been someone on the product team. Um, but someone from the beta program had reached out afterwards to see like, Hey, like, are you still using it? Is it still working? Is it, or do you like it? Is it broken? Do you have any feedback? Would that have maybe come out of your group? At that time, probably not. That probably was, um, some of the engineering folks, like when, back when, when we were doing that, uh, beta work and that kind of thing, that was probably people on the, on some of the product teams, um, Generally, when something's really new like that, the DevRel, like usually DevRel doesn't get involved until something's in general availability. That's okay. not always true, especially now because we're a lot bigger and we have a lot more going on. But certainly like a couple of years ago, that would have been more of the product teams. Okay. I was trying to mentally fit into my head some of my experience with like new products and, and or interactions with, with companies where you, you know, uh, I've worked on a pr project recently where I've had to sign up for like half a dozen sort of crypto index things uh and my email has filled up with hey welcome uh and yeah. like hey let's talk uh and i'm i'm trying to discern if they're like from product or from devrel or from marketing and it's it's from this side of the, it's hard to suss out what it, it which point of the organization they might be coming from um yeah and it really will depend on the, on the organization because there are there are lots of teams, especially at smaller startups and, and stuff, where the DevRel team is really involved with um, you know beta launches and and gathering that kind of feedback and and that kind of thing. So it it, it all depends on the the company. Yeah, as that line blurs, like some have just left it in marketing, and they're you're your own department, and then uh, some are under product. So. Um, in true dev fashion, I, I feel like it depends fits in nicely. Here's yeah. an answer. Like it depends. It, de it does uh, so depend and, and it is evolving a lot as the economy changes and everything. There's, there's a lot more focus on, 
metrics and goals and what's the return on investment from the company and that kind of thing. A couple of years ago, it was a lot more of a kind of loose, like, yeah, just like go out and go do stuff, be awesome, and, get out there. Yeah, like just, we'll just hope for the best. But like that doesn't work anymore. And you're, we're seeing that as, you know, in all the waves of layoffs and everything, like um, Dev, DevRel in general is having to tighten up quite a bit. And my, my group, my team was kind of lucky because with the acquisition, we actually kind of had to do that already because we went from a, a private startup to a publicly traded company. And so during that integration process, there was a lot of scrutiny of like, okay, well, what is it that you do and why do you do what? it? And why do we give you money? And what, you know what I mean? And so what we, do we get we, for our money here? Yeah. And so we went through that process. And at the time I was the interim director for the whole group. And so like, I was fielding all those questions and setting the budgets and, and doing that kind of thing. And, um, and it turned out to be a really good <laughs> exercise for us because now of course that, that has the changes in the economy are having that domino effect across the industry. And so we are, I mean, it's sheer luck. I mean, we didn't do anything to, to, to do that, but just the, the timing of the acquisition really forced us to have to answer a lot of those questions and change a lot of things. And, you know, just sort of tighten up what our return on investment is and what our value to the company is and all that. And it's still a work in progress, but I'm grateful that we had a little bit of it. We had about a, a year head start on that, on that journey, you know? Yeah. So for, uh, you know, we probably have some listeners that are e either in the throes or about to sort of go through this in their own company, in their own situation through sort of, uh, proving out, what are some of your takeaways from the from your year head start uh, that that could help some of these people out as far as uh, Devrel sort of metrics and oh you know uh, I don't know what OKR stands for but I know it stands for objective key, and key results key results um, there it is yeah uh, yeah you know uh, f filling out that spreadsheet and being like we're gonna get X Y Z and we're gonna have this much engagement and and top of funnel um, feeding and what what would you say to people that are trying to uh, prove or, or put down on, on paper their, their value add to the company? Yeah. I mean, one thing is just that it's complicated. Like De DevRel, you're going to need a ser like a series of metrics. I actually just wrote a newsletter issue on how to identify good metrics. Um, and that's part of it is you're going to have to triangulate using a handful of metrics based on what part of the process, what part of the funnel you're trying to impact. If you're a more of a marketing organization, you know, and you're trying to impact the top of the funnel with um, um, awareness and engagement and that kind of thing, then you're going to have to pick a handful of things that you can track and then triangulate. Okay. Here's, here's how DevRel is impacting that part of the organization. And the same would go for the product side. Um, so th that's sort of just one mindset to have is like, it's, you're not going to, it's, it's not as simple as uh, like sales, for example. And I, I used to do direct sales in a previous life uh, for finance. And so, you know, it's pretty clear cut, you know, you, you, you make a sale, you make money, <laughs> you know, and DevRel is not sales. And so it's a lot more, nuance than that. Um, you're also going to have to get a lot of uh, buy-in up the chain of the organization and make sure that you have, you know, all the way up into the executive level, understanding and agreement fundamentally about what is developer relations, why does it exist, what impact does it have on the company, 
you know, and that's going to be a, a two-way conversation between, you know, advocates, managers, directors, VPs, um, getting them all on the same page. Um, the other thing I would say is um, try to um, do less better <laughs> rather than try to do everything all at once. Um, there's a, a big flaw in um, especially startups that are building developer relations teams where they want everybody to do everything. You know, they want one or two people to do co content and speaking and product feedback. And, and that's just not going to work. Like I've, in all of the people that I've hired and managed and coached and talked to, you know, it's very rare to get someone who is like a well-rounded, they're good at everything. Like I can count on one hand, the number of advocates that, that can write, speak, create videos, give product feedback. Like most, most of the time it's because that's not what they're interested in. They want to, they want to specialize, you know, they're, so there are a lot of people who are really good on camera that hate being on a stage or vice versa, or people who want to sit in their basement and write long tutorials, but never want to see a human in person, you know, like there's, 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 and so um, the same kind of goes for a team. Like you gotta, you gotta look at the team and the balance of the team and what their strengths and weaknesses are and, and, tune your metrics around uh, finding this balance of like, what does the company need versus where are our strengths and weaknesses as a team, which is a little bit of a, you know, it's more, if there's some art in there as well as science, but um, the more you can um, play to your strengths and not try to force something to happen that's unrealistic based on what the team is doing, um, the more successful you're going to be. Um, so those are just sort of a handful of things that that can help, but um, yeah, it's it is it's challenging for sure. Like it's it's a it, it, DevRel is complicated at every level in the in the chain. You know, whether you're an individual or a manager or a director or a VP, it's it's there's a lot of complexity to it, and uh, so yeah, it's an interesting exercise to have to go through. I guess my follow up question for you is is you know, I understand what the purpose, uh, like the, the purpose of like the individual contributor is and the lead and the manager, like where did DevRel, did it come out of marketing? Did it come out of product? Did it come out of this idea of, of developers are being asked to do everything or work with marketing at like DevRel doesn't seem like a, a old, like, like DevRel's not a cobbler, like uh, industry, like it, it doesn't have roots going back into like, uh, the, you know, the middle ages. Um, where did it sort of spawn from? Where, where do you feel that it sort of like grew out of? Well, I think it's an amalgam of a couple of different roles that, that, um, then shifted into, Oh, it'd be really nice to have a technical person to do this. So I think it's a, a, a combination of like, Yes, marketing, because there, there was a point where people realized um, if we're, if we're going to sponsor conferences and things like that, like we're going to get a much better result if, if the person is actually a developer. <laughs> I need to market um, this, but I don't know how to talk about it. Exactly. Yeah. And so developer marketing is a, is a thing. I mean, it's an, it's an industry unto itself, you know? And so, and then there's, um, there's a lot of customer service oriented parts of um, developer relations. There's a lot of community building uh, in developer relations. There's um, uh, product feedback and product management kind of elements to it. So, and that's why so much of it depends on what the company is trying to do and how they define it, because you can, you can 
go to one company where DevRel is hyper-focused on community building and product feedback. And then you can go to another company and it's hyper-focused on marketing and awareness and that kind of thing. Um, and so I think it's just, you know, you can find parallels for all these roles in other industries that are just not uh, developer oriented. You know, there are lots of products out there that have community management and customer service and marketing and product management and that kind of thing uh, that are not software, uh, but we happen to be in software. And so uh, they're taking all of those traditional roles and saying, well, what if, what if a technical person was doing this instead of a non-technical person? And that's kind of how it has evolved over time. I wonder if the sort of growth of open source software and sort of that community building over the last like two or three decades has, has sort of really sort of spurred the, the, the community and the, like the community growth and that sort of thing for, uh, DevRel, um, and social media. Cause I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think I got into, software in like the early 2000s and maybe it was just my novice but like there were one or two big conferences a year for the big languages and everyone else sort of just hung out on message boards and that was like the extent of community um yeah no i mean certainly the evolution from software just being enterprise contracts into you know the, everything from open source to I mean, there's sort of the democratization of the web and the sort of the mid 2000s web 2.0, like Ruby on Rails, like everything's just sort of exploded once, um, you know, the, the dot com bubble and all of that, you know, the software as a as an industry has exploded and, and morphed into something that's no longer, uh, you know, door-to-door uh, -door salesman at IBM, you know, selling, selling product or Oracle, you know, or things like that, you know? And so I, I'm sure that that ha has a big part of it. I mean, for example, in, in the marketing side, a lot of it, um, people think of it in terms of like bottom-up sales or marketing, you know, instead of a lot of software companies, they'll, they'll approach um, sales and marketing from both the top down and the bottom up and the top down is like the, the CTOs, the architects, the, you know, the business angle of it. But then the bottom up is like the developers that are using the product. And most software companies are going to have both. I mean, some, sometimes there's ex exceptions, but you're going to have a, a team that's selling to CTOs and you're going to have a team that's marketing to developers and hoping that they're going to meet in the middle, that the developers are going to chatter enough to the people above them. And then the people above them are going to be like, oh, yeah, we, we heard about this product. Um, we, we, should, uh, we should sign up for it. So, um, but yeah, I, I totally agree. I think the explosion of all the different types of software sales and marketing over, over the decades has had a big impact on this. Yeah. Uh, since we are uh, waxing fondly ab about the past, you are not a, uh, a developer by education. Is that right? right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, so uh, I, you're a self-taught developer. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, my, my self-taught journey starts back in the late nineties when I was, um, in seventh grade trying to learn how to do HTML and, and right clicking on, uh, web pages and viewing the source and trying to understand it and checking out books from the library. And, and, but at that time, um, 
I thought that you had to get a degree in computer science in order to do any sort of programming. And uh, when I started college, I started in computer science, but all of my classes were basically just math. math. <laughs> and I, I wasn't into it. And so I, I kind of washed out of that. Like, I, I mean, I did fine in the math classes, but I was just 19, you know, I was 19. It wasn't in, interesting in Asia, enough, you know, and I wish I had stuck with it. I probably would have had a different, much different journey, but, um, but so I, I, I stopped, um, I, I switched over to, um, eventually, uh, a religion degree, uh, which is sort of a hybrid of, uh, history and sociology and philosophy and that kind of thing. And so I did all this liberal arts stuff and, um, just sort of, you know, followed my passion and which, you know, my, my parents were thrilled with, <laughs> Oh man! and then I uh, graduated during the right, right before the 2008 recession, uh, <laughs> and started working, uh, started working in, in, in finance and stuff, because that was the only thing I could try to do. I, I had this wild idea of becoming a financial advisor, um, you know, as a broke, 20 something I, I, looking back 20s are so embarrassing <laughs> like i think everybody's 20s are embarrassing but um but yeah i sort of had this meandering journey uh where i worked in finance for a few years and eventually i was at the stock brokerage um which isn't as i mean it's that sounds more glamorous than it actually was but it was a small company in florida and um it had its own software department they, they created their own trading platform which was actually pretty cool it was a pretty cool platform and I got to be friends with some of those developers and um, I, had always, I had told them that like, you know, I had always wanted to be a programmer, but I, you know, I never, I, I never got the computer science degree. So I guess I'll never do that. And the lead, um, one of the lead architects was like, I never finished college. Like I, you know, not, none of us, uh, I think one of them had a degree in computer science, you know, and, um, and this blew my mind. And so um, those, those developers started helping me learn C sharp and JavaScript. And, you know, I would kind of go in, you know, at lunch or after hours or something, and they would, they would kind of te teach me some things or review some code and that kind of thing. And that was in the, it was like 2012 or something or 2013. Uh, so about almost 10 years ago, which is bonkers. But, um, and so, uh, yeah, but, but what was amazing then was, by then, and you kind of alluded this in, in your outline, by then there were online tutorials, <laughs> you know, there were, there, it was a whole different world, you know, like, and, oh, and so I'm I so jealous of yeah, your point I was like, in time. Like back when I was, you know, trying to do this stuff before none of this stuff existed. And so it, that's I, where I, I was doing it. Oh, I'm so, <laughs> yeah. So, I like read I through mean, this and I was like, mm, I missed yeah, it by I like mean, five years. Yeah, it, it was really, really different. And so I just, I couldn't get enough, you know, I absorbed as much as I could. I mean, it's, it was before kind of the YouTube explosion that we have now. I mean, there, there's even more now. Um, but then there was Treehouse, there was Code Academy, there was, um, you know, a couple of other, like, Pluralsight was around then and stuff. And so, so there I just... was one that showed up. It was uh, Rails for Zombies. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember was... that. My so I you know I was already had already already done this journey through paper and pencil basically like I feel so old uh, I did it in about 2005 so I had to physically go to a bookstore right Amazon wasn't gonna send me anything uh, I had to go in there and order I'll go up to the counter talk to a person and have them special order me the book 
And then I waited like two weeks and then they would call me on the phone and be like, your book's here. And I would drive back over there and pick it up. And then I yeah. would do type out like each page, page by page until it, until it worked. Um, yeah. And then I remember yeah, well, seeing funny, Rails for Zombies and being like, son of a, oh, this is yeah. so, this is so much fun. Yeah. I was trying to do that in like 2009 or something. You know, there was a time where I got laid off from a law firm job. Uh, and so during that time I was trying to teach myself Ruby and that kind of thing. And, but it just, it wasn't the same, you know, it was, wasn't the same and I didn't have any support or anything. And so I didn't, I didn't succeed in that, in that go. So the, it took me like three times to become, become a self-taught developer three or four different times. Yep. Uh, and it just took having the right support system and, and people in place and the right opportunities and, and that kind of thing, which is part of what motivates me now. I mean, that's one of my motivations for getting into developer relations and content and everything is to try to, you know, pay that forward as much as possible. Cause there's, there's so many people who want to get into coding and don't have that kind of like accountability or people who are looking out for them or that kind of thing. And so that's a big motivation for why I started writing and creating video courses and creating books and, and all of that was to just try to be a, a virtual um, mentor or signpost or teacher to as many people as I possibly could. Uh, Cause I feel like I just got really lucky in, you know, meeting some, some of some people who helped me, uh, change careers, which really, you know, completely changed my life, you know, being able to, um, you know, it, it completely changed my life financially, and then it eventually led to developer relations, which led to travel. And, you know, I mean, it, it, big trajectory change. And so I'm, I'm very, very passionate about um, paying that forward as much as I possibly can, you know? Yeah, I taught uh, at a boot camp, a uh, JavaScript boot camp on the ground in class for uh, a couple years. And there were I had several students who didn't really need my technical help. Uh, they just needed someone to be like hold them accountable. Like they they personality wise, they had read the literature. You know, they had tried multiple times, and and you know to start and just you know life got in the way. Uh, they just needed someone to be like, okay, I need you to do this and have it done for me tomorrow. Uh, yeah. And they were, and it was like just enough pressure uh, to force them to do it, right? To put down Netflix or to not go out with friends and to like sit and grind away on it for like forty-five minutes. Like you know, they're not monster things. Like forty-five minutes, and like it, then it was done. Uh, but they just yeah. needed that little tiny push. Uh, and so having people around you to help you out or hold you accountable or, or, you know, tell you that, uh, you don't need a degree to do it. Like any of these things, uh, is, is an amazing, is an amazing idea. The, you have talked a lot about micro tasks, micro skills, uh, micro skills. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to dive into this, um, in this last little bit because your, your site said something that, that, uh, really hurt me emotionally inside. Uh, I think it was a, a project list gathering dust might, might've been the words. Uh, and I thought that's just mean, Sam, that like hurts my soul. Like, how dare you call me out, uh, on your website? <laughs> so tell me yeah. what, um, micro skills are. I know soft skills, right? We're all aware that developers need soft skills that is like really just code or, uh, for like, 
talking to people and communicating and like anything that isn't writing syntax gets pushed into this soft skill. But I'm curious what, what Mike, I like the, I like the, the name and I, I like, tell me about it. I want to like, you've got me hooked. What is a micro skills as a sort of bucket? Yeah. So micro skills are tiny habits or um, techniques that you do that can compound and become transformative over time. And this came from, uh, you know, I, I went through a very big period of transformation and growth from about 2013 to 2017. And a lot of it was spurred on by the end of a very difficult relationship. Um, and, and I was sort of forced to reboot everything in my life. And I moved across the country and um, changed careers and, um, changed my, my physical health. And I, I did all of this stuff. And, um, and, and then later it, when I, when I first got through with that, I went through this phase of being uh, really insufferable where I, I thought that like, Oh yeah, like you just got to do all these things. You just got to like work hard. You just got to like, you know, go to Find the, the grit, the Sam, you just got to yeah, have just, grit. Yeah. And as, as I got older and wiser and, um, you know, mellowed out a little bit, I started realizing that there were a lot of small decisions that were actually behind a lot of that big transformation. There were a lot of small things like, 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 um, consistency, learning how to be consistent with what I was doing, um, getting feedback, like having regular feedback and accountability for things, um, uh, learning how to say no and set boundaries instead of, you know, constantly getting, uh, just saying yes to everything. There were little things like that, that I noticed were, um, setting me up for success. And so that's what I started writing about were these small things that you could do, um, uh, that, that were just coming from my own, you know, experience of what was helpful to me. Um, and so the, the thing about the project list gathering dust, that's from, I wrote I, probably the thing that got the most traction was an article called how to finish what you start. And that's um, an example of a micro skill is, you know, being able to actually see something through to completion. And so I came up with this little framework called the tiny experiments framework where, um, you know, you give yourself uh, a, t a scoped project and set up a feedback loop for it and, um, you know, pick one thing at a time and prioritize and then knock something out and, uh, that got a lot of traction. And so that that kind of spurned on just writing the rest of these little micro skill newsletters. So I've got things about, I've got one called Embrace 1% Days, where it's about, you know, being consistent and trying to improve 1% every day. I've got one on um, asking for feedback and saying no to things. Um, Can I dive into the, for like your uh, tiny framework, um, when you set up a project, so like I'm mentally like putting this together in my head, like of the hundreds or more dead projects that I have, or I'm sorry, incomplete projects I have, there's in progress. Uh, where, like, how does the feedback cycle work when you're working on it by yourself and you, you set up some tasks and stuff? Are you, are you, do you find a, someone external to be like, Hey, uh, can you take a look at this? Do you, do you work in public? Do you like, w can you go into that a little bit more as, as to like feedback from whom, I guess? Yeah. I mean, so it can be any of those things. I, ideally you're getting, 
there, there's, there's two sides to it. There's the internal feedback, which can be like metrics or data or something. Right. So like if you're, uh, you know, trying to write consistently every week and you want to reach a certain number of people or whatever, like you can set up metrics and goals and things like that. And that, that, that provides some degree of feedback because you're trying to see like what's working, what's not working. Uh, there is a, something magical, kind of like what we were saying earlier, there's something magical that happens when you involve another person and get feedback from them and get some sort of accountability. Um, and that can be, you know, a friend. It can be, nowadays, there's so many Discord groups that have channels specifically for this, for like yeah. getting feedback on things. There, there's whole like um, Discord servers around whatever hobby or side project or goal you have. Uh, and you can post regularly in places like that. So that that that's, has solved a lot of those problems for people. Um, or you might have like a small group of people who are all kind of working on things together. Like I, um, my book on DevRel actually came out of a small group like that. There was a handful of us who were going to try to launch a product. Uh, and so we all had, had a little Discord chat together and we would post updates and uh, write, th write things and, and give updates on, on our launches and that kind of thing. And so um, th that's generally uh, like a really good idea is to have some sort of external feedback. Um, you have to be a little bit careful about who you allow the feedback from because you don't want, you don't want either extreme. You don't want someone who is only going to tell you what you want to hear, <laughs> you know, like it's so your mom might not be the best person <laughs> to give you feedback, you know? <laughs> oh, like honey, it's great. <laughs> right. And then, but then on the other hand, like you're, um, there's a great, uh, some, I, there's a great piece of advice. Don't, don't take criticism from someone you wouldn't take advice from. Um, and so, you know, you also don't want just sort of random strangers on the internet, you have to kind of weigh their feedback accordingly. So you want to find that kind of sweet spot of like someone who is, um, you know, someone you respect, um, or, you know, you know, they have their, your best interest in mind, and they're going to give you honest feedback that you can actually use to improve. And sometimes it takes a little work to find somebody like that, but uh, it's well worth it when you do find someone like that. Yeah, the, the I ask you specifically about this. I had always referred to it as public pressure uh, was what I found in trying all of these different things, um, even feedback from my mom, uh, bless her heart, uh, but was just building in public and announcing these small goals or these small things sort of kept me... I don't know, maybe two or three people saw it. I don't know. Uh, but it was enough that I was like, well, I said it and now I have to, you know, you know, there were a couple of times when I had to stay up late or, you know, get up early and sort of chip away at things I would not have normally done um, because I said I would and somebody saw it. And like the expectation is like, I, I, I don't want to be that person who says it and never like vaporware. I don't want to be vaporware. That was my, that was how I got myself to motivate. And I, I implore you listeners, uh, to, to try different ones. You start with your mom. Maybe, you know, maybe she's real mean. I don't know. Uh, start with somebody else's mom. They, maybe they, maybe they'll be a little more uh, critical of you. Um, but try several of them and you will find one that sort of 
pushes that button, your button in that specific way. Uh, and you're going to try a lot of them and they're not going to work and you're going to feel bad and it's fine. Like those aren't the ways you get motivated. Uh, and when you find it, you're like, Oh, this is like, there's a lot of pressure. Like maybe that's too much. So, you know, die, you got to tweak it a little bit and you got to dial it in and you'll find it. And you'll find that sweet spot that is just the, the right amount of pressure. Um, maybe it's the right group or the right people that, that like, product launch group that you have sounds super rad um and look your yeah, book came out so i feel like that's a success it worked yeah yeah, yeah it worked building in public is a is another very great valid way of of getting feedback it's uh, for sure well that's super fantastic well i want to uh sort of start to wrap up there is there you know you're on parental leave so i don't want to keep you away too long now i know how nap times are only a you know <laughs> nap time is nap time. And if you don't get it done during, during that, that's all, that's all she wrote. Uh, is there, you're on parental leave. Is there, have you unplugged socially? Have you ha, like gotten away? Obviously you're not away from your computer now, but like, have you had a chance to sort of decompress or unplug from the job? Have you thought, has anything occurred to you if you had any sort of like epiphanies while you were on your, uh, technical sabbatical? Well, I mean, I, I, I can't lie that like becoming a parent definitely shifts your perspective on like how important things are <laughs> and how, you know, like I, I reflect, I mean, I had a really stressful couple of years like this. There was a lot happening with the acquisition and uh, changing into a director role and that kind of thing. And, and so I, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to going back like, fresh and like, kind of with this new perspective of now being a parent and that kind of thing, you know, I feel like there's a lot of, um, I, I feel like it, it'll, it'll, it puts some distance between, you know, me and like the job, you know, like, I mean, I, I love my job and I love my team and, you know, I, I, it's all really good, you know, but it's a lot, you know, <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a, a lot happening. It's intense. A, it's, it's intense, you know? Yeah. And so, um, you know, I'm thinking, thinking back on different, uh, management issues or HR issues or things like that. And I think when I go back, um, things that felt like a 10 out of 10 stress level for me are going to feel like a seven out of 10 stress level for me, because now I've got a, a different scale, you know, now I'm like, Hey, if my kid is alive and fed and you know, my wife is okay and everything like everything else is secondary, you know? <laughs> so, um, that's definitely kind of helping with that. Um, I, I have also, you know, for various reasons, I'm, I'm a lot less involved on social media. I'm still on Twitter just because I'm there, you know? Um, but I'm, I'm not very active anymore. I'm really investing more in my newsletter, and my and um, also a lot of just various Discord servers. Not all of them are tech related. You know, a lot, actually, most of them are not tech related. They're you know hobby related or things like that. And so, I'm finding more um, more good interaction in those kinds of pockets than sort of the bigger, more anonymous or more you know kind of broader public social media and that kind of thing. Um, you know, because time is limited and emotional energy is limited, and so. Um, I'm spending a lot more time thinking and reading and writing and um, talking with friends and that kind of thing. And um, I'm hoping that I can carry that forward into the rest of, you know, normal life once it resumes. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely takes a, a bit of a, 
once you sort of go back, it's like being at a camp where, you know, you only have to do a couple things and you can focus on those things and then getting into the groove of, of family and work. Uh, it takes effort to keep that sort of relaxed, uh, this like that sort of, uh, relaxed idea and not get like caught up and rushed back into it. Eventually, you know, you sort of look up and yeah. you're like, Oh, I'm doing, I'm doing it again. I got to sort of like take a step back and sort of, of, of reevaluate. Uh, yeah. On yeah, parental leave, you are getting, uh, up to speed on your podcast listening, I hope. So it's funny. Well, I used to, I, I normally listen to a lot of like productivity podcasts and, and tech podcast. Well, I don't really listen to tech podcasts anymore, but, uh, on parental leave, I'm mostly listening to like nineties rewatch nineties TV rewatch podcasts. And like, uh, just like every, like everything is just about like relaxing right now. It's, you know, it's like just a, just a nostalgic of wash of, is of enough, you know, stress. And so I just, uh, in between, diaper changes or feedings or you know i do i do a lot of dishes all day every day <laughs> dishes where do all the dishes like honestly and... <laughs> like the 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 bottle washing and the bottle crate and like the 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 gaskets and the the nipple like the i you know the the assembly and disassembly and reassembly it's like how many bottles could we possibly go through in one day and there's just yeah. like dozens what it feels yeah. like dozens yeah i spend so much of my time watching things. So I, I listen to a lot of just fun podcasts and stuff like that right now. I, I'm listening. My wife and I are, are watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer for the first time because neither of us wow. watched it when it was on. Um, we, we were around the, the right age, but for whatever reason, neither of us did. And so um, there's a really great uh, Buffy like rewatch podcast where it's like a, I think it's a woman and her niece. And like, so the woman is my age she's a millennial and then her niece is like gen z and so like the, the niece is watching it for the first time and the the the, the millennial is watching it again and rewatching like, it oh that's a commitment because yeah, buffy's like so. eight like this is back when they did when a season was 22 episodes right, right. so like yeah. this the, is a the commitment first season was short for some reason it was only like 10 or 11 episodes really um yeah or 12 episodes or something but yeah, if it showed then, up like mid season. You could they because they used to do those mid season roles where like the show would a show would get canceled and then the a yeah. new show would premiere. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, twenty two episodes. Been, do you hear that, everybody? Twenty two yeah, episodes in a single season. I've been, nice. I've been, I've also been watching the X Files for the first time over the last like Ooh. several years um, because those are those are like 24, 22 episodes. So it's I just finished season eight, and it's I I I think I started the first season like three years ago or something or four years ago. <laughs> like, yeah, it's an amazing so. it's amazing how much content at forty five minutes an episode like they cover years of content compared to like these like burn brights. Uh, three seasons and you're done sort of eight episode seasons that we're doing these days. Yeah. 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 I guess the other, the only other more pr productive podcast, I, I I'm a big fan of the economist um, ever since becoming a director of DevRel, like I, I squarely in the target market for the economist. And so, uh, cause I do so much global strategy and stuff. And so they have some really good podcasts. Um, 
they have one that is like science and technology oriented um, and, a, and a couple of, a couple that are like finance and economics oriented. And so I, I listen to those uh, usually like in the mornings when I'm like actually thinking. Firing on all cylinders and, yeah, right after coffee. That sounds like, yeah. you know what, Sam, that sounds like a coffee podcast. Exactly. Right. It, those are my coffee podcasts. I listen to The Economist and, and that kind of thing. And then, nice. you know, when I'm rocking the baby to sleep, you know, then I'm I'm listening to Buffy the Vampire Buffy Slayer. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> this is amazing. I, I, I have this like, I can like map out, like I can see your day mapped out uh, via like podcast and chores and like uh, baby sleeping. Yeah. Uh, have you heard, have you uh, heard the Shatekery with Ben Thompson? No. I will send you the link. Uh, ben Thompson is an economist who went to business school at Harvard and worked for Microsoft, but he does the uh, technology and business and, in, and he lives in Taiwan and he like uh, grew up in Minnesota. Um, and he, he has this, he has a, uh, he has a couple shows now, but I'll send you the Shatekery. He does a newsletter, but he also podcasts it as well. So it's great to listen to, but he's always talking about like the influx of like Intel and like, um, you know, what he did one recently that was like what the NBA could learn from formula one's sort of, uh, uh, capturing new, um, capturing new fans, you know, where, where mm -hmm. like the, the cable bundles broken and like, where does a casual fan come in? And so like, but, he, and then he talks about like Intel and the chips and how they're behind and how TSMC is eating their lunch. And like, it, it's amazing. I'll send you the link. So the oh, econ right up my alley. technology, yeah, yeah, technology and economy and like the aggregator, uh, the aggregation theory and the inventor's dilemma is like his wheelhouse. Uh, he like yeah. owns that space. So I'll send that over. I love, I love every minute of it. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So those are, I guess those are our picks. Those are our podcast picks. Um, Sam, thank you so much for your time, taking time away from the family to come talk to us uh, about developer advocacy and, and um, where, if I want to sign up for your newsletter, where can I go uh, to sign up and get that right to my inbox? So you can just go to developermicroskills.com or you can go to samjuline.com, uh, my main website. That's where all my writing lives. Um, and either one will sign you up for the newsletter. And uh, yeah, there's I'm, I've broken 2,000 uh, developers and developer advocates, so trying to get to 3,000 this year. So trying to share it out as much as I possibly can. Uh, it's my favorite. It's my favorite thing. You know, I just write um, what I care about and uh, get feedback from readers who ask me questions, and then I turn those into newsletter issues, and it's a lot of fun. So I'd love to have. Any of the listeners of the podcast hop on the newsletter and and uh, join in. Well, you've got me. I will. Uh, I added it to my RSS stream this morning, um, so that I can get those right in there. That's a great place. So everyone, head over to uh, Sam Julian or develop. Say it again, developer. Developermicroskills.com. Microskills. Developermicroskills.com. Yeah. Fantastic. Sam, I want to thank you again for taking time uh, and talking to us and helping me understand the iceberg uh, that is uh, developer advocacy. Um, it depends. <laughs> yep, it depends. <laughs> All right. And I, everyone, this conversation doesn't stop here. You can always reach out to uh, me at, I'm on Mastodon these days, uh, jesse at cogwheel.social. Uh, but Modern Web is still on Twitter uh, until its last burning days. Uh, you can reach us at Modern Web Podcast. It's in there. Uh, thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Okay. Thanks so much, Jesse. Come on. Come on.
This podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs. Shout it, yeah! Queries do, so come on, let's go, cause we got a show for you.